Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. This is the day that you have made, and even though we are burdened with what is going on in this world and around us, we will rejoice. We will rejoice in it. You are still our King. You are still our Savior. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God endures forever. We thank you for all that you teach us in your Word, all that you promise us in your Word. We cling to it with all that we are. And so, Lord, now I, as we take a look at your Word, I pray that you would open our ears and open our eyes and open our hearts to hear and see what you have for us this morning, and that we would use it to, to make real change in our lives. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A Reader's Digest article published just this month details several inspirational stories of people who had the realization that it was never too late to pursue lifelong dreams. One detailed the story of a man named Brad Gold in Los Angeles, California. Gold held a senior management position in a restaurant chain, but as that chain continued to financially struggle, Gold was laid off at the age of 53. Knowing that it would be very difficult to impossible to find the same type of position in the corporate world at the age of 53, Gold suddenly found himself at a crossroads. He could either find some other type of position in that world or pursue his lifelong dream of owning his own restaurant. The giant problem was that he had no funds, he had no leads, and he was just laid off. So Gold had to improvise in order to achieve his dream. Instead of going the traditional route of creating a restaurant from scratch, Gold knew he needed to find an existing cafe that was struggling to make ends meet, and the manager was highly motivated to get out of his lease. Gold ended up finding that exact cafe only eight blocks from his house and got straight to work. Since he had no extra funds to work with, he borrowed money from friends and family, and his wife designed everything on a shoestring budget. In this world, anyone looking at that situation might think, eh, don't hold your breath. But Gold succeeded, and his cafe, called Black Dog Coffee, still exists 20 years later. Gold is quoted as saying, I'm eternally grateful for the layoff and the opportunity to pursue my dream. See, instead of seeing his layoff as the end of the road, Gold chose to see it as a golden, albeit difficult, opportunity. In our passage this morning, there's a situation that had the potential to end very, very badly but ended up being the golden opportunity for many, many people to finally find salvation and eternal hope and peace. If you remember from 
our, our entire time have been in this general passage and talking about this situation, Jesus has already broken down a man-made barrier of hatred and discrimination that had existed for hundreds of years between the Jewish people of Judea and Galilee and the Samaritan people of Samaria, Samaria sandwiched in between. While he's there, he specifically sits down at a certain well and is approached by a certain woman. This woman has quite the reputation for sexual promiscuity in town with the description in John chapter 4 that she's already been married and divorced five different times and currently cohabitating with another man. This description probably doesn't even include all the men she's slept with and acts of adultery, which would pretty easily explain why she's been married and divorced five times. And this woman, Jesus knows, desperately needs to be told about who he is and that repentance is the first step to her putting her faith in him as Messiah. At first, the woman does not respond positively and even tries changing the subject, but Jesus remains on course, offering to her what he describes as living water, a spiritual sustenance that can only come from the Holy Spirit, bubbling up in a never-ending source of joy, peace, and strength, which will end up resulting in eternal life. She finally starts understanding that who she's talking to is the Messiah himself who can give her this living water through repentance and gets all excited with a childlike excitement. She has finally found what she's been looking for her entire adult life and trying to fulfill through her worldly adventures. So in her excitement, the woman leaves her water pot behind at the well and as 20, verses 28 through 29 say, goes to find the only ones who could corroborate that G, everything that Jesus had told her about everything she had done in her life. And who was that? The men of the village, those who were part of these adventures. And as is human nature, if these men are hearing that Everything this woman has done was getting out, some of who I'm sure would rather some of the things this woman did remain a secret. What are they thinking? Everything? <laughs> I better go see exactly how much this guy knows. While these men, and perhaps women married to them, start trickling out of the village to go meet Jesus and see what secrets he's divulging, Jesus has the conversation he has with his disciples in verses 31 through 38 about the spiritual sustenance of doing God's work and planting the seeds of the gospel message in others' hearts, which we talked about last week. But now we refocus on what's going on just outside of the Samaritan village of Sychar and its inhabitants. This is where we pick up in our passage this morning. So if you brought your Bible with you, please turn to John chapter 4. We're going to pick up uh, in verses uh, 30, start in verse 39. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, that's okay. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn to John chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 39, or you can look this up on your Bible app on your smartphone. This is what we read. From that city, 
Many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things that I have done. Like I referenced earlier, these words, he told me all the things that I have done, in purely human understanding, could have kicked off a very bad time for this woman and created a bit of a revolt here in Sychar. These words, he told me, all the things that I've done could have been the powder keg for complete banishment for her from the town. And if the men simply didn't want to hear any of it or wanted to deny all of it, there's a scenario where she's stoned to death. It could have ended very badly for this woman. But there are two parts of this experience that make all the difference in the world. Number one, what the woman is referencing is not just anyone. What she's referencing are the words of Jesus and the words that he said as a part of his mission to share his message of salvation across man-made barriers. And number two, the words this woman entered into town with were not said out of drama or wanting to stir up trouble or wanting to out different people. These words were purely said out of faith and the new joy and hope in that faith. And so the men in town can see that difference. This woman could have shouted these words and stirred up this potential trouble at any point. So why was she choosing to shout these words now? The men and women accompanying them could tell something different was going on right now, and they wanted to know more. Some of it was curiosity, some of it was dread for fear of their own secrets getting out, and some of it stemmed from this weird feeling of hopeful spiritual expectation that they got from interacting with this woman as she's entering back into town. Here's why. There was something suddenly different about her. There was this hope and there was this peace that she had never showed before. And she was now fully emanating. The woman who left the town earlier that day to go visit the town's well was not the same woman who was now interacting with them. And much more, the townspeople had never seen this woman like this. As noted by one biblical scholar, we're not told what Nicodemus's response to his conversation with Jesus in John chapter 3 was. But it's very clear here as to what this woman's response is, and that's of excitement, that's of joy, and that's of having to tell everyone, no matter what she already knew, everyone already thought of her. In fact, this experience was so different and so earth-shattering that in and of itself, according to verse 39, it was enough to convince some of the townspeople she had met that she had met the Messiah right away. Some people believed what she said, that she had had a personal interaction with the prophesied Messiah. And as the first part of verse 40 then notes, they wanted to go meet the Messiah for themselves. In verse 40, we read, So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. 
The second part of verse 40 is extremely intriguing. You might say, how so? Two reasons. Firstly, what was the woman shouting in the town square? The very reason why they would want to go out to Jacob's well to meet this guy. It was in connection to the divulging of secrets, many of which the men in the town probably wanted to keep secret, and they wanted to find out just exactly what secrets this guy had divulged he knew. Again, it was a potential powder keg. But when they found Jesus and heard what he said, it was enough to forget all of that. That was in the past. There was something new happening in connection with this guy who was obviously the Messiah. Reason number two is this. If this had happened anywhere in Judea or Galilee, this would not be intriguing. But where are we? We're in Samaria. To the Samaritans, this Jesus from Galilee with an obvious Galilean accent and who was not only Jewish, but obviously a Jewish rabbi as he was now surrounded by his disciples was worth putting aside their discrimination and hatred to hear more from him. This is huge. Jesus was so obviously worth hosting as the Messiah that the townspeople, especially the men, put aside all fear of their secrets getting out and the hundreds of years of racial discrimination and hatred to hear more from him. This experience with Jesus was completely world-changing for them. See, that's what Jesus does in a situation even today. Even today, Jesus takes a powder keg of a situation and brings forgiveness and change. Even today, Jesus brings healing to circumstances that have been ruled by discrimination and hatred for hundreds of years. And as we can see in the biblical passage today, and today, Jesus is the only one who can make revolutionary change in any kind of human situation ruled by any kind of sin, whether it be personal sin, such as in this morning's passage, or the sin of people and nations, such as discrimination and racial pain that has existed for hundreds of years. Any kind of true and lasting change can only come from Jesus changing the situation. And on Jesus' part, as one biblical scholar noted, he was knowingly putting himself in an, in, in an uncomfortable and potentially dangerous situation by staying overnight in Samaria for two days. This discrimination and hatred was no joke. Some of the townspeople believed in him as the Messiah, but not all of them. And it only took one person who disliked Jesus, firstly because he was Jewish, and secondly because one of his secrets got out, to take out that anger on him in a fatal way. But Jesus did not care. He knew his, his mission to bring the good news of his message was to break down these man-made barriers and bring it to people all over the world. Samaria was the first step in showing that his love and message was for everyone, regardless of race, ethnicity, or previous religion. 
Because of Jesus' physical and therefore powerful stand against this man-made discrimination, his message found even more listening ears. Yes, it's because he chose to stay in Samaria for two extra days, but now people see that when he says his message of salvation is for everyone, they can plainly see how serious he is. And so we have what we have in verse 41. Many more believed because of his word. We don't know exactly what Jesus said to the people of Sychar, but we know it must have been something that is in line with everything else he said across the Gospels in the beginning part of Acts. That is, that for anyone to have eternal life, one must repent of their sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus for their salvation from that sin. Once that happens, we are reconciled to the Father and have all of heaven opened up for us. Just like with anyone else who is searching, this news is world-changing for these people of Sychar. Jesus revealed such deep spiritual truths to them that it didn't even come down to what the woman had said to them anymore. The Samaritan people put their faith in Jesus because of what he said to them. Verse 42, And they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. That woman's testimony served its purpose in bringing the people to Jesus. But that wasn't enough. It was their personal experience with Jesus himself that brought the Samaritan people to put their faith and trust in him for their eternal salvation. As pointed out by one biblical scholar, the Apostle John is describing what everyone's salvation experience is like in a nutshell through this experience. Someone else's testimony of what Jesus has done in their life is what brings you to have your own personal experience with Jesus, opening your spiritual eyes to put your faith and trust in him. But rather than negating the power of the personal testimony, this strengthens the place of sharing your personal testimony of what Jesus has done in your life with someone else. What this tells us is that it has a powerful place in the process of someone putting their faith and trust in Jesus. That connects back to what we talked about last week. You may feel like you don't have much to tell to someone else about your faith or about what Jesus has done in your life. But if you really sat down and thought about it, you have a lot to share with someone else as to what Jesus has done and is doing in your life. And that story can and will have a profound impact on the process of someone finally putting their faith in Jesus. We talked last week about the importance of all of us simply planting the seeds of Jesus' message of salvation, hope, and peace with someone else. One extremely powerful and easy way of doing this is simply sharing with someone what Jesus has done in your life. 
a chain that he's broken, a fear that he's released you from, a way he's provided for you, the peace that he's given to you in the midst of a scary situation, or anything else he's done and is doing in your life. Believe it or not, even if you don't see any kind of difference, change, or response from the person you're sharing that with, or even if that person responds with downright antagonism to it, God is using it in his process of bringing that person to himself. It may be years still down the road, but someday God is going to bring back to that person's memory that story of what Jesus did in your life. No matter how inconsequential it may seem to you, in the hands of Almighty God, that story can have all the power in the universe in that person's life. So like we talked about last week, share it. The woman in our passage this morning had everything to be scared of in waltzing back into the town that she had had so many sexual adventures in, perhaps wrecking some homes along the way, and sharing her testimony of how Jesus changed her life. But she didn't let that stop her. So neither should any fear we may allow to keep us from sharing our stories of what Jesus is doing in our lives to others. And because that woman did not let fear or shame keep her from sharing that story, it was the catalyst to many, many people in her hometown also putting their faith and trust in Jesus for their eternal salvation. In verse 42, the townspeople said to the woman, At this point, now that we've been able to spend this time with Jesus ourselves, we now believe in him because of what he's said. Your testimony had its place to bring us to this Jesus, but now because of his because of our personal experience with him for ourselves, we can plainly see that he is the Savior of the world. Now, obviously, the Samaritans were not making the statement that the whole world was simply now saved by Jesus without anyone else having to make any of their personal decisions about him. At the same time, they could clearly see what was happening through this experience of them as Samaritans having interaction with Jesus and having the opportunity to put their faith in him as well. Remember, the Samaritans' knowledge of the Messiah ended with the closing of the book of Deuteronomy. It only really involved the Messiah as a prophet, like Moses, who knew God face to face. That was the extent of their knowledge of who the Messiah was supposed to be. But over the course of those two days, the Samaritans recognized him as something more than just a prophet. Something changes here. He was the Savior of everyone, of every kind of person, no matter who they were, not just the Jewish people. And if he was the Savior, then he was the Savior from something. That something was sin, eternal death, and hell itself. And if he was the Savior, then he was the Savior to something. That something was eternal life, reconciliation with God, and all the comfort, hope, and peace that went along with that. 
A transition happened over the course of those two days where the Samaritans found Jesus to be the prophesied Messiah, but not just the prophesied Messiah, the Savior of the world. Our personal walks and experiences with Jesus along the road of this life should always strengthen our faith. That statement of Jesus is the savior of the world is just the beginning in the process of our faith growth. Just as that statement was the beginning of those Samaritans' faith growth. Their faith growth didn't just end there with verse 42. And our faith growth does not end when we first put our faith in Jesus for our eternity. It must always be a growing faith that through the transformation of the Holy Spirit ends up permeating every area of our lives. Jesus is the Savior of every area of our lives and therefore is the Redeemer of every area of our lives. If Jesus is the Savior of every area of our lives, which he is, then he has the right to transform every area of our lives. So guess what? We have no right to hold back any areas of our lives from his transformative and changing power. If there is something you keep saying is off limits to Jesus, surrender that to him today. Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus is the savior of everyone, every kind of person, people from every race, nation, tribe, and language. And no one is too far gone for Jesus to find and bring to salvation. I'm sure any one of us would look at that woman in our passage and write her off as a lost cause. But she was not too far gone for Jesus to save. Amen? Amen. So we too, especially with those we've written off as lost causes, must be sharing our stories of Jesus working in our lives and planting those seeds of the gospel in our conversations with them. And let us stand back and watch what Almighty God will do in His power with those stories and those seeds, just like in our passage this morning. I'm also going to expand this declaration of the Samaritans a little bit, too. There's a lot going on in our world right now. There's a lot going on in our nation right now, especially over the past couple of weeks. The suicide rate and the opioid crisis is at an all-time high. Inflation has skyrocketed, and lots of people have to make the decision of what other necessities to give up in order to just buy food for their families. The stock market is falling, and the economy continues to limp along with no boost in sight. There's still a line of supply crisis, along with the fear of a food shortage. Every kind of alternative lifestyle, contrary to the Bible's commands, is celebrated and promoted, no matter how destructive it is. 
Babies continue to be murdered in their mother's wombs with their mothers and fathers reeling from the emotional, physical, and spiritual fallout from those decisions. Humans continue to commit unspeakable acts of evil, abuse, and assault against one another. We're still dealing with racial and ethnic discrimination and division. We're still dealing with COVID along with all of its repercussions. Russia has just aggressively invaded Ukraine, opening the door to possible future invasions by others into any other nations, and there's talk of nuclear war. We're facing the fear that cyber attacks by other countries will cripple crucial sectors of our nation. As believers, there is an ever-increasing possibility of, of losing our religious freedoms here in the U.S. and facing intense persecution. We look around our country and the world, especially over the past couple of weeks, and we think, man, what in the world is happening? What the Samaritans declared 2,000 years ago is exactly the same truth today. Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus will use these earthly fears and calamities to bring more people to faith in him. Rather than view this time with dread, as believers, we must view this world with faith. As fears mount, the opportunities for us to share our stories of Jesus and plant the seeds of eternal hope found only in him also increase. As it looks like this world is spiraling more and more out of control, instead of joining with the masses and running around yelling that the sky is falling, let us stand up as unwavering pillars of strong faith and point others to who gives us this strong faith and why we have this strong faith. We are being given the opportunity to truly shine as lights in this dark world. Like how we opened our message up with, we can use this bad situation for good in Jesus' name. The more and more this world falls apart, the more and more the people of this world are losing any kind of foundation they've been building on. The cracks start to form and the fear starts to seep out. What a perfect opportunity for us to show them that the only foundation we can possibly build on in this life has nothing to do with this collapsing world and everything to do with Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen. As believers in Jesus, we have nothing to fear, even as this world burns down around us. We know God has his perfect plan for us and his perfect reasons for what happens in our lives. We know God Almighty, the creator of the universe, holds us in the palm of his hand, and no one, not even ourselves, can snatch us out. We know that God will provide for our needs, and he already knows what those needs are before we even ask him. We know that we are God's children, and he is always watching over us. We know that as it certainly looks like Satan has a vice grip on this world, we have the commander of heaven's armies fighting our spiritual battles for us. 
We know that when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross and rose again from the dead, he threw the uppercut death punch to sin, death, and all the powers of the kingdom of hell and darkness. We know that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, filling us with the peace of God himself, the hope of heaven, the courage of his strength and power, the reminder that we're children of God, and we know that he who is in us is greater than the devil who is in the world. We know that nothing can touch us without God's allowance, and when and only when God determines it's time to call us home, we will wake up in the very presence of Jesus, our Savior and our King. We know that this world holds no hope for us. This world is not our home. We're just passing through on our way to heaven, and the mission Jesus has given to us is to take as many people as we can with us. One day, the doors between heaven and earth will get ripped open. Jesus himself will shout, it's finally time. And those who died as believers in Jesus before this time will rise from the dead. Join with those who are still alive, and we will all be caught up together and meet our Savior in the clouds, joining with him for all of eternity. The world, meanwhile, will just continue to spin more and more into chaos until the very day Jesus fully returns to earth with us at his back, destroy the enemies of the world set up against him, and set up his perfect kingdom of peace, abundance, and justice. And someday, this very world itself will be fully saved by the Savior of the world. It will be destroyed by fire, and God will create a brand new heaven and earth for us to enjoy with him for all of eternity. Brothers and sisters, we have all of that to look forward to. And all of that has nothing to do with this world. So as Paul tells the Colossian church, let us set our minds on heaven and leave it there, not on the things of this earth. In the meantime, we're not fearing anything. We're not spending our time fearing. We're spending our time doing the work God wants us to be doing, sharing the stories of how he's working in our lives, planting the seeds of Jesus' message of salvation, and bringing as many souls with us into the next world. As we bring the light and life of Jesus to this dark world, let us keep these words from Paul to the Colossian church at the forefront of our minds and take this as our battle cry against the schemes of the evil one. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven not the things of earth. For you have died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you 
for what the simple sentence, the Savior of the world, really means. All of that entails, all of that includes. You are our Savior. You are our King. And so we will not fear, as the book of Psalms says, even though the mountains crash into the sea, we have God as our foundation. Our eternity has already been won for us. We already have the victory in this life. Lord, let us not fall to the schemes and deceptions and lies of the enemy. Let us keep our focus, keep our eyes set on the realities of heaven. Keep our focus on what you want us to be doing in this life and in this world. Let us not be distracted by fear and by worry and by anxiousness and by depression. But Lord, let us go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit, taking back territory from the enemy and looking with expectation for your return for us. Let us go forth in this power and this hope and joy. In Jesus' name, the name above all names, amen.